I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. After years developing on the sideline, waiting behind Aaron Rodgers for his chance to start and be the new face of the franchise, turns out Jordan Love might just be the same Jordan Love he was in college. Uh, And we saw evidence of that last night on Monday Night Football as the Packers fell to the Las Vegas Raiders on the road. We're going to talk about that as well as some draft offensive tackles and breaking NFL news with Justin Jefferson headed to IR. And uh, to do that, we need Trevor Sekuma. How's it going, good sir? It is going well. Um, enjoy these Tuesday football chats with you. We got some great things to talk about with Monday Night Football. You mentioned the breaking news. That's going to be fun to get into because as a draft guy, there's a fun little draft angle that goes along with that breaking news for the Minnesota Vikings that I know we'll get into. So uh, it's all good, my friend. Appreciate you having me as always. How do you uh, how do you think the cold opens are uh, approaching? You're my so you know you have various people out in the world that are like the the people you look to as you know Rich Eisen, right? Phenomenal host, amazing host. That's that's the kind of guy you'd look to on the the outside world. But internally, I think you are the spearhead when it comes to hosting PFF NFL shows. So, you know, I look to you for advice. Look, I think the cold opens, great strat. Love that you guys are doing them. Um, it's, you, we're, we're doing them over at uh, at NFLSE as well. Oh. And ours are a little more ridiculous. Okay. Because we have, we have the ability to film the whole show and then pick out the most ridiculous moment as the cold open. Like last week, we had a segment where we went over the meme two are you you pick two to protect you and the rest are coming to kill you and it's like 10 alligators 50 eagles like three grizzly bears five gorillas like one guy with a gun 10,000 rats it's like a bunch of these yeah, different yeah. categories and you have to pick two so like the cold open for our football podcast last week was connor going you know honestly gorillas are slept on you know i just the strength of the five gorillas just you really cannot match that and like that was it like that was the cold open and people were like wait a second I, what is this pod? Is this a zoology podcast? What are we going into here? There, there's all a. <clears throat> I would listen to a whole podcast that's just discussions on each one of those ridiculous things because it's always <laughs> like here's the here's the the 15 different animals and, and numbers of them. You got to pick one to defend you, and the rest of them are all coming to kill you. Right. <clears throat> or <clears throat> God, what's record that my voice is done? Um, or that thing of uh, you know which what's the toughest animal you could you could beat to death with your own hands, right? I yeah. would listen to a podcast. It's just two people talking that out, particularly if one of them was Steve. Have you and Steve not done that? I'm su- I'm very surprised if you have not. I don't think we've done it on the podcast. I would certainly be fascinated to find, because Steve, I think it's a different answer to regular people, right? right? Correct. Correct. You know? I think you have, you ha- you're a lot more feisty than Steve is, but Steve is just taller. So I think the arguments for both are very different. Quinn, 
let me know the next time they do a mailbag on this show and I will create 80 different emails to just spam the same question. It's tomorrow. So that they it's have tomorrow. To Send them in. Okay, good. N- NFL, pod- NFL podcast at PFF.com. That's your email address. Fire in the email and we will find out what animal Steve thinks he could beat to death with his own giant meat ham hock hands. <laughs> Anyway, I already can't wait for my show of this to be over to, to get to the next one. <laughs> Before we get to that, uh, we got to talk all about uh, the, import- the most important thing you could be doing right now, which is not talking about beating animals to death. It's about securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFF. That's meetfabric.com slash PFF NFL even. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFF NFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. So NFL, or NFL podcast at pff.com is where to send emails, or you could join the podcast Discord. You'll find the, uh, the link to that in the description of this show. Um, and don't forget to check out the YouTube videos that I'm firing up as well. You watched the TO one last night. I did, yeah. You sent me over the little solo video that you're doing. I see what you're doing. You're trying to branch out from Steve, like you know, members of right. NSYNC or Backstreet Boys. You're trying to, ju- you're trying to Justin Timberlake, <laughs> Steve. Palazzolo. And I understand. I understand why you're doing it. You know, sometimes you just you, you got to go and get the solo money. But no, that video was great. If, no, if, if people have not seen it yet, you make a very intriguing and compelling case as to why Terrell Owens might have actually and maybe should have actually yeah. had more of a legit shot to catch Jerry Rice's crazy NFL record. So you can find that on my uh, pinned tweet on Twitter at pff underscore sam there's a dan marino one out there as well and uh taking taking requests i gotta figure out what to do next but let's get into uh to monday night football um yeah like the story of this game to me really was maybe after all of this jordan love is just jordan love yeah um you know it's it's hard to say, like, oh, okay, this guy's a quarter of the way through his first year as a starter. You know, let's write him off. Sure. But at the same time, you know, all the time that he had to sit behind Aaron Rodgers doesn't make it easier because it's not like he's a rookie. He's been in the league for a long time. And I understand there's nothing that really prepares you for regular season action like regular season action. If you don't get it, there's not really a time limit for you to be a good quarterback. But it's tough, especially when you look at what the Packers want to do. And, um, our esteemed colleague Brad Spielberger tweeted this out because this is a stat that I wanted to look up immediately after the game. My guy was on top of it. Mm. Jordan Love is six of tw- of twenty four <coughs> this season on passes of twenty or more yards down the field with two interceptions and no touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Charted is accurate on five of those twenty four attempts, which is the third lowest in the NFL. This is a team that wants to open things up, and I think that you can tell in Love's willingness and also vision to continue looking deep down the field that that is what they want to do 
you look at the receivers and you say, okay, Romeo Dobbs, Christian Watson, Jaden Reed, like these are guys that you push the ball down the field with. Luke Musgrave's a tight end. I know he's a rookie, but like when you talked about what his scouting profile was, this was a really good athlete tight end who was going to help you stretch the field vertically up the middle of the field. So the Packers have a lot of these players that are these deep threat players. They want to be a vertical offense. But Love very clearly is just not hitting these passes. And sometimes you can say, all right, maybe it's lack of confidence. He's still getting things down. But other times it's just been straight up misses that I've seen throughout this season. So it's always more glaring when it's after a loss, right? You go back to that New Orleans Saints game. And let's be honest. They probably should have lost that game. I don't mean to say that to take things away from them, but if Derek Carr doesn't get hurt in that game, I know Jameis didn't play terribly, but Derek Carr doesn't get hurt in that game, you figure the Saints are probably at least going to get a field goal at some point in that second half, and that would have been enough points for the Packers to not be victorious in that game. And Jordan Love was up and down, but it was the scoreboard at the end that made people go, look at what Jordan Love did, all this comeback. He's so, like, he's well on his way. And I liked what I saw from him, but it wasn't perfect. Now, when you lose and it's not perfect, then all of a sudden the fingers start to get pointed, the magnifying glass comes out, and you really start to break down all the different stats and where you failed. And um, so I don't really know if Jordan Love is any different than kind of what he's been throughout the first part of the season, they just happen to lose a primetime game against a team that they absolutely should have beat. So it's going to look worse by nature. No question, I think that's the part of his game that's failing the most, and that's the part of his game that needs to get better because it's clearly what Green Bay wants to do. But, um, yeah, just not a good showing overall in Green Bay. Even a bad effort from the Packers should have been enough to beat one of the least talented rosters in the NFL and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, and, and it just wasn't last night. Yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I'm kind of with the opening and with the first question or first discussion, I'm I'm sort of heaping it all on Jordan Love. It's not all his fault. Like, he, he clearly has some flaws to his game and has always had them in terms of, you know, he's not the most efficient quarterback in the world, probably never will be. He's vaguely right. inaccurate relative to other guys. You saw that a bunch of times yesterday. A lot of it's kind of his own creation, like he tries to throw off platform, and while some quarterbacks can do that and still be accurate, Love can't. Um, so he misses a lot of throws, and now you're combining that with a young group of receivers who, while talented, are leaving plays out there on the table. You know, Romeo Dobbs has a drop yesterday. Musgrave has a drop. Um, Christian Watson is incredibly talented in terms of physical size, speed, threat, but is not actually the best ball skills type of receiver in the world. So you're you're pairing a reasonably inaccurate quarterback that's going to leave some plays on the table with receivers that are leaving plays on the table. And now a banged up offensive line is kind of killing some plays stone dead. So those ones are off the table. And now you're just sort of slicing, you know, piece by piece by piece, layers of efficiency out of this offense. Um, the offensive line's also obviously hampering the run game. And it it's just, it's taken too much of a toll now. And this there's just not enough there to overcome the mistakes they're making. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I don't think... You know, when the team is not where it needs to be, the quarterback always seems to get a lot of the the blame for things. And I think Jordan Love is taking 
For as much as he hasn't been perfect, I think Jordan Love is taking an unfair share of the blame for the team just not being good. You right. mentioned the offensive line's banged up. The receivers, okay, promising, still young. They're still figuring out. They're still not consistent. And I still think that even if these guys, even if the receivers were clicking on all cylinders, I would still tell you they're missing a wide receiver one. And the best teams in the NFL have a wide receiver one. They have that player where there's a lot of other good complementary parts of their game, whether it's quick hit stuff, whether it's horizontal stuff or whether it's vertical stuff further deep down the field. Through all of that, you have that one guy who it's like, all right, first and 10, we need good yards to start this drive off. This is a crucial drive. We're throwing it to this player. All right, second and 12, we're behind the sticks because we had a bad run. Got to go to this player. Third down, money down, got to go to this player. And so on and so forth. And I don't think the Packers even have that kind of a player in the receiving game. So a lot of things are not going well on offense. Defense is kind of up and down with... um with, with with Joe Barry there, but um, yeah, it's. I just don't. I, I I feel as though Love is getting a little too much blame, even though he is to blame. Right. If that makes sense, it's just not going well in Green Bay. And like I said, it's not like they're. It's not like the train. It's not like the the, the train's falling off the tracks. But it always looks worse when it's a primetime game that you lose against a against a team that you absolutely should beat. And unfortunately for Green Bay, that's exactly what happened last night. Yeah, I think it's just unfortunately the reality of that position in the NFL. Like, you get all the credit it when is. it's going well, right? Brock Purdy, you get all the credit when it's going well, no matter how much yeah. of a percentage yeah. you make up. But the flip side of that is you're going to get all the blame when it's going badly, even if the same thing is true, right? It's a collective failure in Green Bay right now, just as it's a collective success in San Francisco. But we're only going to focus really on the quarterback because that's the nature of today's NFL. Um, really, the best players in this game on both sides of the ball were on defense. I mean, Max Crosby, just an absolute thorn in the side of the, the Packers all the way through the game. Mm-hmm. The Green Bay defensive effort was a bit more sort of shared. They shared the spread the workload a bit. But, you know, Devontae Wyatt looks really good this year, taking a big step forward after a rookie season. Rashawn Gary is still fantastic, even if they're, they're still kind of easing him back in a bit. Razul Douglas with a couple of really nice plays. He was maybe the best player on defense for the Packers. Like, okay, both offenses struggled, but part of that was the defenses were kind of kicking ass. Yeah. No, I, it, it's, a, it's a good note by you to give a hat tip to that group. Max Crosby, man. Oh, I hope the Raiders put a good team around him because he seems like somebody who really wants to stay with the Raiders. He's somebody who it feels like he he, he wants to be a Raider for as long as he possibly can be. But uh, I just really hope they put a winner around that guy because he is one of the best defensive players in the NFL. I mean, he's on pace for a monster season right now. And last night he really showed up in a huge way. So I actually didn't check. What did Tyree Wilson do last night? The I, I I didn't check his final uh his final line or his final grades because Tyree was struggling the first couple of games that he was in there. Like he there I think he failed to have a pass rush win on yeah. a single snap for the first three weeks that he played. Well, would you like the good news or the bad news? Um give me the good news first. The good news is he did register a pressure. Nice. Hell yeah. Yeah. The bad news The arrow is going up. <laughs> the bad news is it was his only pressure and it came after or on sixteen pass rushing snaps that earned him a PFF pass rushing grade of fifty six. Yeah. So it's not great. Yeah, it's not great. No. I can't I can't remember when the pressure was in the game. 
I gotta go back and look. Right. Uh, I would give a shout out actually to the Raiders. So they were banged up. Not only do they not have a particularly good team anyway, uh, particularly on defense, just talent wise, they're they don't have much. Uh, but they were missing, you know, multiple important players. No Nate Hobbs, who's probably their best coverage player. No Jacorian Bennett, the rookie who's been, you know, a starter, an impact uh, rookie for them. And so multiple players. Amik Robertson. You know, how he is tiny. 5'8", 183 is what he's listed. He is. He's the guy that yeah. wins the jump ball in the end zone targeting Christian Watson, who is, what, five, six, seven, eight, eight, like eight or nine inches taller and God knows what extra in terms of wingspan and reach. Now, it's an underthrown pass. He had position. I was going to say, it was a nice jump. It was a nice pick. It was, you know, he got a little help from Jordan Love on that one. But. Right. Still, anytime you're five foot eight and you're winning a jump ball against a guy that's 6'5", you got to give some kind of tip to the cap. Um, True. And then sure. the other guy to, to mention is Tyler Hall, who, went, who was, played 30 snaps, is the, the corner that got the kind of extra playing time because of all the injuries. Um, a 2020 undrafted free agent out of Wyoming who has mm. now played 255 snaps in his career, uh, all, most of them coming last season, then this 30. He's grading well, and, you know, he made some nice plays. He was targeted three times, gave up just one catch for four yards, had a pass breakup in there. So anytime you got to go to the bench, particularly in the secondary, it's usually like a red flag, and that guy's going to get picked on and targeted and attacked. I mean, Tyler Hall held up well. Good for him. It does feel like the Raiders have these random games where the defense, like, all comes together and they actually play decently well. And then, like, most other weeks they don't. But then they have like one or two performances throughout the year where you just go, see, look at what happened when the whole group played really well. And it's a bunch of players that you look at the depth chart and you don't think that the Raiders are supposed to play well on that side of the ball. And then they absolutely do. Obviously, it starts up front with how Crosby plays. But you look at that secondary and yeah, I, I think that Hall has been one of a handful of names that we've mentioned over the last, you know, like a couple of years for this team that maybe we didn't expect to play super well that they actually get good production out of, of these guys who are kind of unsung heroes of the roster. So every now and then it does feel like we get this Raiders kind of game. And last night it was one of those Raiders kind of games. Steve apparently is listening to the podcast rather than doing whatever work he's supposed to be doing for his other job. Uh, he would mm, like interesting. justice for the model because when we were putting our draft board together, you know, we yeah. all we all put our list together and we kind of created this mashup, right? This average aggregate of the, the numbers. And we effectively bullied Steve into changing his rankings because when he put Tyree Wilson at 126 overall, it was like throwing off the big board. And we're like, that's too much. That's too much Tyree Wilson hate. None of us love him, but that's going too far. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah. No, <laughs> Maybe look, Tyree um, Wilson should have actually been 126 on the big board. Look, uh, I'm, I'm certainly not saying this to take any sort of victory lap or, or anything like that. I'm not. Um, but... Arif Hassan, who does the consensus board every year mm -hmm. uh, with a lot of media members, he'll get as many big boards as he possibly can, um, and he'll put it into a Google sheet and make a big consensus board out of it. I asked him who was the lowest on Tyree Wilson of the consensus boards, and he said, I was. And I had him 33 and I think 33rd overall on my big board. And I was the lowest of all of the consensus boards that they had on Tyree Wilson. And Steve's out here having him 126. <laughs> and the guy can't even register some pressure. So, look, Steve, I, we need – I 
as the lead draft analyst now, I need to peer into the model a little you bit. You need more access this year. to the we model. Need, you we do. need we need to collaborate a little yeah. bit more with the model here this year. No, I think that's absolutely true. You need early access to the the running sheet that has the model details, so you know it's not even worth watching this guy anymore, right? I, you might think he's a consensus top five selection. No, model is out. We're done. He can't go any higher than two hundred on the big board. That's where we yeah, are at right. this point. I, I do I do remember that exercise though. I remember the handful <laughs> of us, me, Mike, you, and Steve putting together our own big boards to try to come up with a consensus. And Steve had a couple of mega outliers, and I think Wilson was uh, one of them. But. And the funny thing is, like none of us liked Wilson. It's not like any of us were saying, you know, this dude should be top five. We need him right. high. Like right. we all didn't like him, and we were still just like, that's too far. That's too much hate. You're too low on him. And it I turns mean, out 126 maybe is like, uh, is it fourth round or fifth round? That's flirting with fourth or fifth round yeah. there. It's it's one of those it's one of those day three rounds. So I think we all knew that Tyree was going to get picked <coughs> much 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 higher than that. Um, and I think even for as much as I doubted his production, <laughs> you got to pick him higher. Than I mean, you know, it's still early. Maybe Tyree can turn it around and uh, discover some uh, pass rushing ability as we go through his rookie season. Anyway. That puts both Green Bay and the Las Vegas Raiders at 2-3 and three after their first five games. For the Packers, it really does make the NFC North a one-horse race. You know, it's Detroit's in control now. They've got the win over Green Bay. They yeah. now extend that lead. And the Raiders, it just means they're not sitting in the cellar with the, uh, with the Broncos. It was, I'm going to be honest, it was always going to be a one-horse race in the NFC North. Uh, when I went through my previews, uh, I felt like there were a couple of times when I would have gone on a show or said uh, on Twitter or whatever, like, I don't think this is going to be close. I, I think the Vikings are going to take a massive step back. This is what I said before the season. I think the Mike Vikings are going to take a big step back. I think the Packers are going to be fine, but I think they're going to be floating around 500. And I think the Detroit Lions are going to be much better than floating around 500. So I, I didn't I did not see this really being a close division. I didn't see a second playoff team from the NFC North. Right. So uh, this has kind of come to fruition. And not like puffing my chest here. I think a lot of people knew that it was going to be Detroit's division to lose. But it's playing out the way uh, a lot of people saw it was going to play out. The NFL season is going strong. And DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking up new customers with an offer that's even stronger. Bet 5 bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Um, you know, there's tons of stuff you can go in there. You can see it on the screen right now. Or if you're listening, head over to DraftKings Sportsbook. See all the awesome stuff that they've got. Uh, get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code PFF. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code PFF. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. 
uh, on, there's a whole bunch more terms and conditions. I'm not reading them out. I'm just not doing it. You can go find them yourself from DraftKings. There's a lot of them, and they really don't need to take up six minutes of the show. Terms and conditions apply, as the great Rich Eisen would say. Whew. You're doing, you're doing good. That was two, that was, that's two Rich Eisen notes in one podcast. Two, two Rich, yeah, two Rich Eisen notes. You, um, might, you might be getting a little full of yourself there. <laughs> the... Uh, I don't. I've, I only realized as I was saying it live. I don't use the term "bucks" a lot. You know, dollars, bucks. It, it, mm. but I've never. I don't think I've ever said that out loud properly. That's a. It feels like an Americanism too far for me. You I, know? I was. I was going to say, is it just because it's like too westernized to just slang it as bucks? Well, it's not. I mean. Obviously, dollars are, you know, the currency is different, right, in, in other countries. So it's not right. a colloquialism that exists, really, in those countries. And it just feels like, a, I think you need to have that. You need to be bred into that. I don't think you can adopt it. You can't come <laughs> to Bucks late in life. It's either there with you all the way along or it's not, you know. And it's apparently it's not for me. Go Bucks, as I've often said. <laughs> as you've often said. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Big news today, Justin Jefferson, Minnesota Vikings, star wide receiver, arguably the best wide receiver in the entire National Football League. That hamstring injury that he picked up during the game at the weekend, serious enough to land him on IR, meaning that he will miss at least the next four games. Serious enough. No, I'm, 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 I'm kidding. I don't, think that he's, I don't think he's faking the hamstring <laughs> injury. But it, it obviously does bring up the conversation. Vikings are sitting here at one and four now. Mm. Um and they're in a really intriguing spot, right? Because I actually don't think the Vikings are a complete dumpster fire. <laughs> if, you, if, if you take away a lot, like even if the turnovers just regress to, to the mean, like to the middle, this team it maybe has one extra win, maybe two extra wins because of how close some of those games were. Like maybe the Chargers game is different. Uh, maybe the Buccaneers game is different, right? This could be totally different if they just weren't catastrophically terrible at giving the football away. So you figured at some point in the season, that was going to turn back towards the normal side of things for them. And they were going to win a lot of games. But at that point, was it going to be too late for Minnesota? Like, were they going to be fully out of playoff contention and all of a sudden they're winning these games in the back half of the season that do nothing more than ruin their draft pick and ruin their spot to collect their next franchise quarterback because we know Kirk Cousins is not going to be on this team next year. So now, I'm not saying that your star receiver getting hurt is best case scenario. You're not going to hear those words come out of my mouth. However, since it did happen... Little silver lining here is this guy's out for four games. If you don't have Justin Jefferson, a good chance the Vikings aren't winning. I don't even know what their schedule is. Do you have their schedule up right now? Uh, no, but I can get it in a couple of seconds. Because 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 I, I wonder what their next four games are. Because Justin Jefferson being on IR means he's at least missing these four games. Their next at, their next four games ahead, at Chicago, then okay. home against San right. Francisco, then at Green Bay and at Atlanta. Okay, so. Man, only one of those is a 100% guaranteed you're losing the game, and that's right. the 49ers. It, yeah. It's kind of good news for them, then, if you are a fan of them getting the best draft pick possible, that they don't have their best player against three teams in the Bears, the Packers, and the Falcons that they could beat. Because if you lose those, if, if you go 0-4 over this next stretch and you're sitting here at 1-8, all of a sudden you become what I would assume is massive sellers near the trade deadline. And then you are actually in on 
leading into the rebuild, being okay with losing these games, being able to turn the page and look forward and get the quarterback that you honestly need to jumpstart the franchise. Because you and I have talked about this on this very show. The Vikings don't pick in the top 10 very often. Mm -hmm. They just don't. And they've never really had that opportunity. This might be their opportunity. You never want to see a player go down. You never want to see a player get hurt. But in the long-term things, now that Jefferson is on IR, this might be the push that the Vikings needed to actually decide, okay, we're fully moving on from a lot of things on this roster and and being able to get a good draft pick out of it. Yeah, I mean, if this ends up putting them in a position, as you say, like one and seven, you know, where they're clearly staring down the barrel of a top five draft pick at some point, what do you actually do? Because presumably at that point, the season's dead. Uh, all you're fighting for is respectability. But realistically, at that point in the season, the draft pick becomes more important than, you know, pride right at least in terms of right. what you want to get out of this from a player's point of view it's it's a different thing so what do you actually do at that point if you're the vikings to try and target that draft pick because suddenly your entire approach to the season needs to change from an institutional point of view but the players and the coaches don't want anything different they still want to win the next game so how do you actually ensure now that we are officially tanking for this top draft pick you say you turn to to be you know, uh, sellers at the the trade deadline, they don't actually have that many pieces that you would, you know, there's not that much to sell on the roster currently, which is why they're losing a lot of games. Well, who is it? Hunter is the big one. Hunter would be the obvious one. Yeah. But after that, it's like, what are you selling? Yeah. I think Hunter is the one that you would probably move on from. Um, And, you know, you, 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 can think about this too i don't know if these sides can necessarily collude or agree but jefferson's about to sign a mega deal right mm-hmm. he's probably going to be the highest wide receiver um he's going to sign the highest wide receiver contract in the nfl if the vikings are even two and seven even three and six when he's about to come back like is this dude really pushing himself to hurt himself more before he signs that contract no i mean i don't want to say definitively no but at least it's it's in the conversation so the way that you really get to that point of saying that you're kind of tanking without fully coming out and tanking is yeah you probably sell Danelle hunter near the trade deadline and uh Jefferson doesn't play many games the rest of the season. And I think those are the two important factors for this team if they want to get a draft position that's anywhere close to a quarterback like Drake May or Caleb Williams. The other interesting thing would be if any team is in a position where Kirk Cousins is attractive at that point, right? Because you're moving yeah, on from him anyway. You and I you and I have talked about that, and I think that's the correct move, but but can you even do that yeah. that's that's the one that's the one that might be too far right that's the one where you go okay you are actively trying to feel the worst roster possible yes. and it's that's just not something that we've seen very much especially in the modern nfl so uh i agree with you completely especially putting Jefferson on IR for the next four games, depending on these next four games go, I would have told you that selling Cousins 
would have been the right price. And who knows, maybe behind the scenes, maybe they have sent those text messages or those calls to other GMs just to be like, hey, hmm, hmm. You know, like maybe they have done that, but if they haven't yet, I think that the situation has now presented itself for them to do so. It's also, it's not the easiest trade in the world to make happen for a number of reasons. Number one, Kirk Cousins has a no trade clause, so he'd have to buy into wherever they're going. It's Uh, true. Number two, he's going to want an extension wherever he's going. So in two separate ways, any prospective team needs to get Kirk Cousins to buy into this situation, which dramatically reduces the field in terms of teams that would even be in the conversation like the Jets are not in the conversation because Cousins is not going to sign up to be a relief pitcher for Aaron Rodgers for you know a period of the season and then leave that's just I would imagine very unlikely to be of interest to him whereas you know I mentioned Atlanta before like if the Falcons can convince Cousins that if he steps onto this roster they're a playoff team and a real contender and they're willing to give him the extension that he wants and by the way we've got Drake May and or Drake uh, Drake London and Kyle Pitts and Bijan Robinson and a pretty good offensive line like you could do some real damage here maybe that's viable but they would need to be good enough that even at the deadline they're they're good enough to convince Kirk Cousins of that, and they're bad enough that Desmond Ritter has clearly shown he's not the guy to take them there. So there's really not that many teams where it's even possible. And then, you know, the Vikings are going to get a comp pick for Cousins if he leaves in the offseason, so it's got to be a good enough trade that they're interested, that it's better than what they're going to get anyway, and enough to offset the fact that you would be advertising openly that you have thrown in the towel this season so yeah and that's why it's been hard to kind of make it make sense i think yeah. you you would love if you're all in on the vikings losing a lot of games and getting a very high draft pick i think that you try to formulate a way where this is possible but because of the reasons that you named it does make it difficult you have the no trade clause you're probably going to get something for him in a comp pick anyways just because of the nature of the contract that he's going to sign as a quarterback um it's it's unlikely that somebody would trade you something that's better than that comp pick, honestly. Because um, of what you said, you've got to trade a draft pick and then you've got to sign him. And there's just not a lot of teams. Like, I could think, all right, I can envision Kirk Cousins being in New England next year. So would they be interested? Well, probably not, just because they would say to themselves, why would we give up a draft pick for Cousins when we could right. just sign him? Not now. Agency? Yeah, we'll so, just wait a few yeah, months. We, right, and we, and we just we don't have to do that. So, um the environment to trade him is getting less enticing it feels the longer the season is going on because teams are getting out of that zone of we're fooling ourselves that we're competitors and you're we're getting to the point where there's the contenders and the pretenders and once you become in that pretenders category you're not going to give up an asset for a quarterback that's just going to win you a couple extra games this year so the cousins aspect does make sense but hunter is the trade piece that i think everybody would want if he ends up getting moved then you know that the vikings are uh not all in on being competitive (laughs) yeah done with the season um anyway today's show is brought to you by manscaped who have taken a step up from balloween to bring your face the cleanest shave it's ever seen. So this season, no need to toil and trouble. Manscaped's all-new Handyman is the best way to get rid of that stubble. Featuring a compact design and next-gen skin-safe technology, the Handyman was designed to give you that smooth finish without the mess of a traditional shave. Get the sweetest treat this Halloween by going to manscaped.com and using code PFF for 20% off plus free shipping. Um, 
I've never tried the handyman, as you can tell from my face, but the beard trimmer is in fact awesome, as is pretty much everything else that they have sent us over the time uh, advertising on this podcast. So I can only imagine that if you do have a clean shave, the, uh, the handyman is the thing to get. It may be spooky season, but you don't want to scare people with a scraggly beard. Give them something to look at with Manscaped's Handyman. Uh, Are you tired of a bad razor making your neck look like a scary movie? With the Handyman skin-safe technology to help reduce nicks and cuts, you can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. For wet or dry use, feel free to bring this anywhere and everywhere. The compact design and airplane friendliness make this the perfect travel tool for on the go. And being able to shave up to three days growth without the mess of a wet shave is priceless. And for my wolf men with a little bit more scruff, here we go. This is you and me, Trev. Manscaped's Mm. Beard Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane. This cordless Mm. trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard. So no more drawers full of extra add-ons collecting cobwebs. I still have one of those. I haven't actually, you know, used it as an excuse to clear out that drawer. That's right. Your Halloween costumes may take effort, but beard grooming doesn't need to. We can get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art uh, in a travel-sized package with a long-lasting battery, universal charger, and a strong motor. There's no trick with this treat. Manscaped has you covered. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code PFF. For a look as sweet as candy, get yourself the handyman from Manscaped. And, uh, the Manscaped ad this time around is a lot more kind of just florid, you know, flowery poetry. It's, you know, it's not as, uh, it's not as on the nose as it typically is, you know? That's true. You are you're you're correct. They uh it's really artistic, yeah. this ad read. They've gone highbrow. <laughs> which is probably something else you can shave with the uh the beard trimmer. Now that I think Yeah, of it. I didn't realize that that was a thing for the longest time and then um the uh woman who cuts my hair one day like just like took a comb like <laughs> to my eye. She was she was like she was like, Hey, close your eyes real quick and I was like, Okay. And she just takes a comb like to my eyebrows and yeah. just kinda like goes over it and I was like did I did I need that? And she's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, you had like some you know weird hairs going all over the place." You've reached like, the age. No idea. You've reached yeah. the age where where that starts to happen. Yeah, yeah, dudes. I sometimes have like hair that's like, I, like coming out of my ear that I have to like shave, dude. It's it. That was a uh, that was a Billy uh, Connolly bit years ago, right? You know the comedian, stand up comedian. He was mm-hmm. like, you know, I'm I'm getting older, the body's changing, things are going different. He's like, I I have faith that the body knows what it's doing, you know. So I'm not I'm not too concerned about. It. He's I'm a little bit worried about what's going to happen to me that I'm going to need need long nasal hair to deal with it. But all right, like this is where we are now. <laughs> So, you know, attack that, attack that with it's the mask. It's true. The first time you look close enough in the mirror and you and you see like nose hair, you're like, <laughs> "What's going on?" And then your life is forever changed and you can never go back. Yeah, why is this happening? What what's yeah. what's happened? You this is one of the signs of aging, right? You're in your 20s, nobody thinks about this stuff and then you hit 30 no, something and bam, hair is coming out of strange places. You're like, "Come on, what is this?" Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, we're going to talk draft on this show as part of what we're doing every single time Trev comes over. Trev, as co-host of the uh, Stock Exchange podcast and our lead NFL draft expert. Last week, we were talking mock draft. We talked a bit of big board before that, but 
Previously, we have been diving into certain positions. We talk quarterbacks, we talk wide receivers. One of the other big positions at the top of the draft every single year is offensive tackle. For whatever reason, whether it's NFL teams believe that's the most important position, whether it's simply the default when there isn't a superstar quarterback or whatever it is, everybody always targets tackles at the top of the draft. And according to Trev, this is a rich class for offensive tackle talent. It is. Um, the premium positions, I think, are very exciting in this upcoming draft. We've talked about quarterbacks, I think top-end wide receiver talent as well, edge rushers, offensive tackles, and even some lockdown corners, man. All of the positions that you look for as exciting positions, these premium positions that teams covet and trade up for and, and build their whole draft classes around – it's pretty rich in that category, especially offensive tackles. So I sent you a list of a handful of offensive tackles mm. to watch for this show, and I'm very curious where you want to start because there's a couple of guys that are the notable names I think everybody knows right now, but then there's a handful that have really risen up the boards, have a high ceiling with what they do athletically, and then there's one player in particular who I'm very curious where you have him watching all of these guys for the first first time around not having any uh, yeah. preconceived well, thoughts on them. Let's start with the two studs, because you sent me an extensive list, and I'm not going to lie, I kind of forgot how long it took to watch offensive tackles, because you can't just watch, you know, like, the, there's no, yeah, like, short list. Good place. Yeah, there's no, like, short way of doing it. You have to actually watch quite a lot of plays back-to-back, -back, and it yeah. took some time. So, you know, I scanned through the, uh, the top guys in your list, and then you had a group that were, uh, that were lower down that were your sort of... Uh, next tier down, and I didn't even get to some of those guys. So let's start with the two studs. Um, Joe Alt <clears throat> from Notre Dame mm -hmm. and Ole Fashnu from Penn State. Uh, my initial reaction is either one of these guys would have been offensive tackle one in last year's draft. Like, they are both really good. Uh, yeah. And Fashnu in particular, I think, is the best athlete and mover I can remember coming into the NFL when he gets there uh, at offensive tackle. Like, I, I don't remember the last guy that was better than that. It's actually a really great question. I'm trying to pull this up really quick. Okay, let's see. Uh, offensive tackle, is there anybody that I would have said would have been a better athlete? Uh, I, I mean, Penny Sewell. Sewell so, so is a fantastic mm. athlete, but I even think that Olu moves better in pass protection yeah. than Penne did. Um, I'd say the same thing about Darisaw, who I also thought was a really great athlete. Uh, Worfs is obviously a crazy good athlete. Mm. but I, So, I mean, we're, we're talking about some of the, those best athletes that we have seen at the tackle position over the last couple of years. And the thing was, Sam, is I, I don't know if you knew this, Olu could have declared last year. He was just a redshirt sophomore, but he was still draft eligible. He could have declared, and he got a first-round grade. And he still opted to go back to Penn State. He's very young. Last year was his, or I was, I'm sorry, 20, yeah, 2022 was his first time as a, a as a full-time starter. So, uh, maybe he just loves college. Maybe he <laughs> wants to get his degree. I don't know what it was. Maybe he just wants another year of playing college football because you only get to do this uh, once in a lifetime. But. He ended up going back to school, but I agree with you. He would have been offensive tackle one last year. The way that this guy moves at six foot six, three hundred and twenty pounds in pass protection is about as good as I've ever seen since yeah. I really started to scout guys um, seriously. 
it, it, the, the the foot speed, the balance, the hand speed, the the counters, the way that he takes contact, the way that he can dictate contact. I mean, you get some of these rushers that are six foot three, two hundred and forty pounds, who are very clearly more nimble than he is, have less weight on his on on their body, and they are trying to attack him on the outside shoulder and get him to full vertical drop, and he beats him to the spot every time. Now I'll tell you this: it probably helps that Olu Fashanu in practice goes up against Chop Robinson, who is the most explosive edge rusher that we have in this class. He's the most twitched up explosive edge rusher. And so getting to go up against him every day is kind of like an iron sharpens iron thing when you look at how good Olu is at pass protection. Now, I'm wondering if this kind of caught your eye as well. He is not as imposing as I feel like he could be in the run game. He he just doesn't bring right. that strength, that mean streak. And and I, I feel like he can. There are times when I see that strength level from him as a pass protector, but then when it comes to being a people mover on the line of scrimmage for run blocking, it's not that same sort of mentality. And I think we see the run blocking grades have been low for Olu uh, over the last couple of years, even if with him grading out as an elite pass blocker at the same time. So that's really the only worry I have on my scouting report with him is I just wish he had a little bit more of that mean streak as a run blocker, because as a pass blocker, you could not ask for anything more with a player coming out of college to the NFL. Yeah, I was just scanning down the list of uh, offensive tackles drafted by year, and I think the first guy I come to that I would even consider being on the same level in terms of, so it's not just athleticism, but it's the fluidity of movement. It's the right, just being right. the technique, it, the it technician. Feels weird. It feels weird to say like, oh, he, Tristan Wirfs isn't as right athletic as he is because that's that's a weird statement to say because he is but fluidity is the better word so i didn't mean to cut you off but like that's the perfect word to describe it Uh, yeah because you know blake freeland last year was like one of the best athletes we've ever seen at the offensive tackle position but like on the field it's not quite the same thing um but the first guy that sort of has that entire package of technique athleticism fluidity of movement you know all that put together that i would even consider being on the same kind of level is tyron smith back in 2011. So you're going back over a decade before you get to a guy that you would even think about being in that same category as him from a pass-blocking standpoint. And if you go past Tyron Smith, you know, maybe Trent Williams you would think about before. Honestly, I think he's better than Trent Williams was coming out. Right, as a pass blocker, I yeah. would agree. Yeah. So now you know, you might be going back to Joe Thomas in 2007. Right, Joe Thomas in 07. Um, that's where he is. And I agree with you. I think... The weakness that shows up on tape is, if it is a weakness, is just functional brute power, strength, you know, force. Uh, And it shows up the most in the run game. You see it occasionally in pass protection as well when a guy really goes at him with a a power rush, with a bull rush. Um, And I think the reason it will jump off the tape for him in this draft is just by direct comparison to the other guys. Because actually that's the strength of a lot of the other guys in your list is they've got mm-hmm. that, you know, that inertia ability when they make contact, you're moving. Right, right. Yeah, I would agree. And I mean, that's what that's something that Joe Alt does very well. Yeah. Um, Joe Alt's measurables, the offensive tackle from Notre Dame, six foot eight, 315 <laughs> pounds. I mean, this dude's just a massive, 
massive human being. And he's he's a former tight end. He played tight end in high school. You know, he played offensive line as well. He moves over to offensive line for Notre Dame. He's starting very very early at Notre Dame. I believe he started as a true freshman um, that entire season. I know he started for a little bit, but you see the PFF grades right there on the screen. I mean, it's some of the, the best, most well-rounded offensive line play that you're seeing in the country. And uh, there are times, I think, last year where he still struggled with maintaining leverage and re- really being able to redirect that con- contact and you know where I think six foot eight. We look at these offensive tackles and we say, "Wow, we love the size, we love the length of this guy." But it's a little bit of a give and take because if you're you're taller, that sometimes means that okay, maybe you're a little bit off balance. Maybe you don't have that much center of gravity. Maybe it's tougher for you to be flexible to really sit down to anchor. And I saw some of those concerns with Alt last year, but he is mitigating those even better this year. And so it just seems as even if you have a little bit of concerns with some of the natural leverage and flexibility from Joe Alt, it has gotten better. That specifically has gotten better from his freshman year to his sophomore season to now as a draft eligible junior. And so when you see that sort of progression in the area that you might have the biggest concerns over, um, yeah, there might be a physical limit that you hit, but you, it, it just feel you feel very confident that you're going to get the best version of a really, really talented player. And when that's the case in a game of the NFL draft, that's a risk for guys that you select. Um, you're going to take that every time. So I think both of these players are uh, our future top ten overall picks. Yeah, it's funny. First impressions are powerful, and his first game this year was against uh, Navy, right? So I, I flip on the tape. And, like, the first few snaps I see of him, uh, you have this, like, giant monster blocking these, like, poor Navy midshipmen that are, like, my size on the edge. Uh, it looked like... It, it, it looked a lot like... It's the troops. Yeah. It, was. it looked li- a lot like I would imagine me and Steve running past blocking drills would look like, you know? The same kind of dynamic in terms of size versus size. Uh, but then, you know, you turn on the tape against actually proper size... Uh, pass rushers and he still looks like a monster he's huge yeah. and he's strong he kind of reminds his tape reminded me a little bit of um remember when quentin nelson was playing in at notre dame and he was sort of he looked like an nfl offensive lineman playing on a college offensive line right just from a size mm-hmm. physicality standpoint that's what joe alt looks like right now like he looks like an nfl left tackle on notre dame's offensive line he's just visibly and obviously bigger, stronger, better than everybody else around him. Yep, I agree. I, I agree completely. Those dudes are, like I said, destined to be top 10 picks because of what they bring to the table in that regard. Yeah. Now let's get on to the next group of guys because those are, I think, more interesting. Um, let's start with J.C. Latham from Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh, playing right tackle, the very first thing I thought about this guy is he's a guard. I mean, he looks like a guard. He's built like a guard. I think he plays like a guard. Maybe they'll keep him a tackle in the NFL, but I, I don't normally necessarily think this about offensive tackle pro- or offensive line prospects coming out of college, but I'd be surprised if he isn't playing guard in the NFL. The thing about Latham is I actually think he moves really well for his size, which sure. is he is six foot six, and I think he's up to like. 360 this year yeah they had him they had him listed at 335 the previous season and i think he bulked up another 15 20 pounds and he's around 360 now if he wants to play at 360 
he might be a guard, but I don't think he has to play at 360. And I already think he moves well enough as a 360 pound player to where I I do I do agree with you that he he physically looks like a guard, mm-hmm. but he moves too well at that weight for me to just say, all right, let's throw you inside. I'd much rather when he gets to the NFL, because I don't exactly know why he's trying to play between 350 and 360, because I don't think he needs to. I'm wondering if in the NFL they go, okay, you're going to lose 20 or 30 pounds. We're going to bring you down to 330, and we're just going to do it in a way where hopefully you maintain still a lot of that strength, but you're even faster, you're more nimble, you've got better core strength. And at that point, the movement skills are what I really like from Latham. And there's some inconsistencies there. You know, I still think that he's working through um, hand usage and, 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 um, which how should I say the hand placement's another way to say it like specifically because I feel as though that his strike timing can be a little bit off he can get a little bit caught he's an offensive tackle who over the last two years has given up more pressures I believe than a lot of the other guys that are a little bit higher on this list but to me it's all things that are teachable especially for the type of athlete that he is from what we see right now between three 350 and 360 so not a perfect player but somebody who I am very, very intrigued by. And again, this is the kind of big giant athlete that you take in the first round and you kind of figure out what the best weight for him would be, what the best position for him would be. And I still think you're going to get a great return on investment, whatever that is. Yeah, he's he's definitely really strong. Um, he's got some of that Dewan Jones to him where he gets himself out of trouble with the strength and with the, you know, I don't know what his arm length is, but his arms actually look long relative to the rest of his body. Uh, but and he, I think that's why yeah. he's a tackle. You know, like right. that's why you you'd play him at tackle before you'd move him into guard. He's got, that's that's my thoughts. He does have this really weird body shape, though. Like he's the weight, and I didn't realize it was that heavy. Like I, I knew he was big, but I hadn't looked him up what it, what his actual measurables were or listed size was. It's all like lower half. Like the dude has an ass the size of a planet. Yeah, okay. Alabama has him listed at 360 this year. Last year, he was listed at 326. Wow. So his freshman year, he was listed at 325. His sophomore year, he was listed at 326. And now he is listed at 360. I don't know why he's that big. (laughs) He doesn't need to be that big. I, I I wonder if he's just, you know, classic college bulk and cut. And he's just right in the middle of a bulk play. Right. You know, he's getting up to 360, and then he's going to slim down, and he's going to have a six-pack at like 320, 325 and be able to play right tackle out there. Yeah, you know, summer is when you slim down for the beach bod. You know, right, you, don't, you don't do right. it now. Yeah, it's the winter bulk, right. baby. We're talking two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches before you go to bed every night, mm-hmm. glass of whole milk. You'll be 360 by no time. I, I will say it was an interesting contrast. What, he... I do agree with you that his movement skills are pretty good, certainly for that size. Uh, he does, however, look very heavy on his feet. It was like the opposite of Fashionu, right? Fashionu's got that nimble, fluid moving, looks really light on his feet constantly, you know, floats across the ground. Latham, every step looks like it's coming down with 363 pounds on it. He reminded me, you know the way like elephants can't jump? There's always got to have one leg on the ground at all times. You know, and it's this like slow, deliberate step, step, step. Like, yeah. that's what Latham's like. One foot is always planted on the ground with 363 pounds firing through the turf. And then the other one moves over here. And now we can just relocate the weight. 
I feel like that's just because he's so big, though. <laughs> because when I watch when I watch him play, I think he moves pretty well. Yeah, I think he's pretty damn flexible for a guy of his size. For me, the big thing with Latham is is simply the hand placement. It, it, it is simply that kind of hand technique and being patient and putting it into the right spots and being able to to get that grip solidified, whether it's like underneath the shoulder pad or whether it's on top of the arm or on the top of the shoulder pad or hitting the peck on the uh on on the on the inside on the inside part of his chest like whatever it is i j- that's the area that i'm actually concerned about i'm not really concerned about a weight i'm not really concerned about the movement skills i'm concerned about the consistency with his hand usage and really like locking guys down cuz he struggles to still do that in college it's only going to get tougher in the nfl when these edge rushers are way better yeah he's he's really interesting actually like i don't I don't think there's anything disqualifying from his tape to being, you know, a top-end guy. But he's got that very weird body type um, and some strengths that would say he might actually be amazing inside a guard. All right, let's move on to a player that seems to be one of your favorite players out here. Uh, I'm going to give you the privilege of pronouncing the man's name because I've never tried it before. His name is Taliza Fuaga. Okay, I would have got The offensive tackle from Oregon State. Mm-hmm. This is a player who I did not know going into the season. And going through summer scouting, they have another offensive tackle, their left tackle, Joshua Gray, who was on some NFL draft watch lists, and so I ended up watching him. I I thought last year's tape from him was fine. I, I think he might be an interior offensive lineman at the NFL level. Um, he's actually playing better this year. His tape's better this year. But as I was watching him over the summer, I kept going, who is their right tackle? Who is who is this dude? And I, I remember looking him up during the summer, and I was like, Fuaga. Okay, I don't know anything about this dude. I don't really see him on any sort of draft list, so I'll, I'll, I'll revisit him at some point. He is one of our highest-graded offensive linemen that we have in the country this year. And so I was like, okay, I got to go, go, go back and watch this guy. I have him as OT3 right now. I immediately put this dude in my top 25. I think he's... You see the run blocking grade there on the screen? Mm. This guy has play after play where he is just throwing people to the ground. I mean, we are talking about legit strength. And then I thought to myself, man, is he just a brute who's this massive run blocker? Then I watched the pass blocking reps, and okay, it's not like Olufashanu type, but man... He's pretty nimble on his feet too for a guy who's six foot six, three hundred and thirty pounds. He already kind of understands where to place the hands, and you even saw him get a little—I don't want to say cute, I'll say savvy. Savvy is the better word. Where he would almost kind of ghost. He'd do like a little ghost move where he would like try to bait the defensive ends into shooting their hands quicker, so he could immediately knock them down. He's dictating pass rush sequences as well. Like so, this is a junior. This isn't like a grad senior. This is somebody who is a first-year draft-eligible player who is strong as an ox, has a finisher's mentality in the run game, has nimble feet, uh, can really move in pass protection, and already has a good understanding of how your hands win pass protection reps sometimes before they even touch the guy who's coming at you. All of those things are a fantastic baseline for me of a player who I'd, I would draft in the first round. Those are those are all signs of a player who I would draft in the first round, and that's why I immediately put him in my top twenty-five. 
Yeah, he, he's got some really fun tape. Uh, I would pay good money to see what he can do to a blocking sled. Just individual drive and see what happens to that thing because he's got some reps where, you know, he gets a clean inline drive at a guy and that dude moves. Like, yes. He, yes. They had one where they were, I think it was a play action fake actually. It was, it was like run action, but they were faking outside zone. And so he sort of had that, you know, a couple of fast steps full to the right-hand side towards a wide nine defensive end. So got a running start at this guy. And that dude was launched like five yards backwards, directly backwards. Like I, You don't see that kind of movement at, at the, the highest level. It doesn't happen. So uh, to give people a little bit of a peer into kind of what we have at PFF, in our database, we have a category that is called like key plays so any play that is not kind of judged as a zero something that is a positive or a negative that was really influencing a grade those are kind of like they they are categorized as as those key plays for a player and often if you're kind of just trying to understand what a player does really well or like why their grade might be so high or sometimes the other side like why their grade might be so low you'll categorize those key plays and you'll watch them so for fuaga his grade is so high that if you were to watch a lot of his key plays, they'd be a lot of really great moments from him because his grades reflect that. There was a game that I was watching of him where three or four plays went by, and I said to myself, am I watching the key plays? And I wasn't. Like, I was just watching every, I was watching the regular games. I was watching every single game snap. But those he had three or four plays, like, right off the bat, that were dominant enough to earn positive great individual grades on every single play where he was like you said throwing somebody to the side completely throwing a dude on the ground and getting him out of a play having a really good pass blocking rep and i i said i i thought i was watching only the good plays because there's no way somebody has this many great plays like this in a row just on regular game tape but he did and that was something that was kind of consistent throughout his tape man he was he was fantastic. He plays right tackle for him. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he could play left tackle. I think that that's something that every offensive uh, player and, and offensive line coach kind of has to figure out for their own. But he's awesome, dude. I th- I think that he's fantastic. No, I I liked him. I I was expecting his movement skills to be a lot worse than they actually were. When you sort of see him initially, and you're like this giant hulking monster who just ragdolls people, and you're like, all right, he's not going to be able to move, and that's the problem. He actually does. His his like he's he lacks some refinement, but his movement skills are actually pretty good, and all of his mm-hmm. losses are kind of the same, which is he doesn't lose on the first move. He loses adjusting to the second one. It's like you get him moving in one direction, and then you make a change, and it's that, like, swaying from one direction to the other. He gets, like, he's too top-heavy. He kind of gets out of control and can't regain himself and get mm-hmm. back to it to make the second adjustment. But I, in a way, I think that's a lot better than just getting your ass kicked on the first move every time. Like, at least... At least the guy has to string something together to get past you. Dude, and if that's the case for a true junior at the college level, get this dude with a good offensive line coach at the NFL level. And I'm not saying that like Oregon State doesn't have good coaches. I'm, it's not meant to mean like a subtle shot to them. But right. continue this guy's progression and say, hey, you're shutting down the first move. Here's how you also stay in front of somebody even better, whether it's working on flexibility or core strength or just anticipating things a little bit better. Um, and he's a starting offensive tackle in the NFL level. I can, really do. Can you imagine him going to 
Jeff Stoutland in Philadelphia and maybe being I, Lane Johnson's like successor down the line. I mean, it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't. It would not be fair. It would truly be the manifestation of the he can't keep getting away with this <laughs> meme from Frank Breaking Bad. If Howie does this again. God, yeah, that you would can't be, keep getting away with it. That would be insane. Okay, the last guy I actually got to see anything of, uh, Amarius yeah. Mims from Georgia. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say that name? It's an amazing it name, yeah, by the way. Nailed it. He's wild athlete, right? What just a very uniquely built individual. He's six foot seven. 330, 335 pounds. Um, he, again, is right tackle for the Georgia Bulldogs. He's a former five-star recruit, one of the highest recruits in his recruiting class. Um, hasn't played a ton. You know, he was able to step in when Georgia had some injuries along their offensive line over the last couple of years. This was supposed to be his first full season as a starter but he also suffered an injury early on in the season so we haven't gotten to see a ton from him here in 2023 um i i think that there are certainly some consistencies refinement technique a lot of those things that, that you still need to clean up from his game but there's no doubt about it this guy brings you the size and movement skills that NFL teams covet very highly as an offensive tackle. He is, to me, kind of the the, the Broderick Jones, like his teammate of, of the class last year, where you looked at Broderick and you said, all right, it's not perfect for him, but look how big he is and how well he moves. And the Steelers obviously were one of many teams that would have taken that guy in the first round, and they did. I think that Mims is that same type of offensive tackle where – you can find other guys in this class who are more experienced and more refined, but you're not really going to find many of them who have the natural gifted size and and athletic ability that he has. And I think that that's going to make him a first-round pick in the end. You know the thing that a lot of those uh, sort of O-line Twitter guys use is like a kind of hashtag that, uh, pass protection isn't passive, you know, and they, yes. they find these plays, yes. these guys going looking for work and, and decking people and decleating mm-hmm. them. I, I feel like he's like the opposite of that, right? Everything he does feels passive. It's like he doesn't quite have confidence in what he's doing yet. So he's just kind of getting by. And because he's so big and athletic and strong and fast, it works. But I kind of wonder how much more there is. Like, it feels if he develops that attitude and actually goes on the hunt and, you know, takes advantage of those physical skills, he could be amazing. But I also wonder if that's just part of who he is as a player, that it is more passive than you want it to be. And, and that kind of – it's almost a ceiling at the moment is because of that. I don't know if I – I don't know if I saw it as, as, as less of a he's too passive – I almost feel like it's just it looks easy for him. And again, like it looking so easy for him with as little of a time as a starter as we've seen from him over the last couple of years, that to me all like that also gets me excited. So uh, he I think him and um oh who were we just talking about? Um Latham. No, not 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 Fuaga, Latham. I think that him and Latham are those two players who you're not going to be able to watch their tape and see like a fully refined 
ready-made prospect okay we can put them out in the nfl right now and they'll be good to go right but they do to me both of them present ceilings of starting caliber offensive tackle ability and i think they both have some questions to answer and some snaps to really figure that out but i hope mims can get back on the field um i can't can't remember what his injury timeline is i think it's coming up soon i think that he should be ready to play if he's not already but um he is somebody who I'm I'm excited to see once the rest of the season gets underway because he's just got a he's a very high ceiling prospect just like Broderick Jones. Was. Yeah, I mean definitely a huge amount of potential. I'm curious to see what he looks like, you know, as he develops and whether he can. Dude, the, the way that. he can get down into his stance, like how flexible he is with his back being straight, yet he can sink his butt all the way down. Like you just don't get that from guys who are six foot seven. A lot of times when you have players who are above six foot six in the offensive line, you know, they're they're hunched over. They can't get their they can't fully sit down because they can't get their feet wide enough. Cause it's just it's hard to do that when you are that tall. But Mims, you see him down in that stance where he's got his hands or he's got his arms sitting on his knees, and yet he's fully sitting down in his stance. It's wide, it's powerful. That back is flat. His chest is up and in your face. So he is ready to just engage every part of his body to try to generate as much power as possible. Now, I'd like to see more power, like you mentioned, but it's it's those natural things that I, I just gravitate towards, especially for these guys that haven't played a lot yet. And I go, man, if that's the baseline that we're talking about here, that's that is a chance that you take pretty high in the NFL draft because that's a lot more rare than some of these other guys who might be more refined but don't have the athletic ability to hang in the NFL level. Yeah, I can't hunch down like that, and I'm 5'11", so it's pretty impressive you're 6'7". All right, you had a few more names that you gave me in your list that I didn't get to. Uh, Why don't you give me the Cliff Notes version of the guys you've got left, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, Okay, I'm scrolling up to find the list. Okay, now I have it. Okay, um... Jordan Morgan from Arizona. He's somebody that I think could have been uh, a draft pick last year had he not torn his ACL in November. He recovered from the ACL injury and was able to start right away this year for Arizona, which is pretty impressive. Played really well last year. I thought the previous years before that, he was not really uh, a guy that the NFL was coveting in a big way. But last year's tape looked great. This year, he continues to look great. Bigger, stronger guy. Doesn't move as well as the guys that we already mentioned here on this list, but a really solid offensive tackle guy and a day two prospect, I think. Patrick Paul from Houston. He's He's another guy who he's somewhere around six foot seven. I can't remember exactly what the measurables are, but he is a giant as the left tackle for the Houston Cougars. And a lot of the competition that he goes up against, it's it's like Joe Walt, where you just you you can go, oh, okay, there's Patrick Paul. Yeah, you see him because he stands out like a sore thumb, quite literally. Last year he graded out really, really well for us. He had a really good pass protection grade, but I was worried about him suffering from um big guy syndrome of of what kind of we called it before where he he just didn't have that flexibility to stand up straight with his chest out and his back back arched and and be able to really sit down in his stance to not lose leverage on every single snap because he's a little bit higher he just looked like he had flexibility issues and i think that showed up in the run game last year this year not only does he still have a great pass blocking grade because of his size and using that to his advantage but his run blocking grade is also better and the reason why is because you can physically see he is improved in his stance and 
um and his flexibility and everything like that he's he is lower at the snap his back is more straight he's more upright you can see, you could physically see he knows how to now generate more power from his lower half because of how he is sitting and how his back can now be arched and he's not hunched over and all those kinds of things so that was super encouraging to me because a lot of times when you see a lack of flexibility from some of these offensive tackles that are huge it's not a guarantee that they're ever going to be able to get over that. And for me to see that from Patrick Paul from one year to the next, very, very encouraging for him. I did, I, I had Patrick Paul outside of my top 100 to go in the season because I was really worried about those flexibility issues. And now seeing so many of them fixed, I have him, I think, right around my top 50. He's at least in my top 60 now. So he is one of the biggest risers on my board because now I am seeing that I think he has the flexibility to uh, get the most out of that frame and that power and be a good offensive lineman at the NFL level. All right. So good year to be in need of offensive line help if you are already looking towards the draft as you know some franchises and some fans already are after five weeks of the nfl season trev it's been a pleasure good sir i will leave you to go and compose your uh draft animal email to nfl podcast at pff.com so that myself and steve can talk about it tomorrow and find out what what animals you better be ready for it appreciate it take down uh thank you good sir we will uh, talk to you all tomorrow thanks for listening